This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about public enemy number one for some wine people. So, Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul? Uh, well, this enemy gets called worn out and tired. Yeah, so do we. <laughs> Still sounds like <laughs> us, so doesn't do we. it? Yeah. yeah. Well, but actually we're talking about something that is not like us, because it's also very popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, then can't be us. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's the most popular wine in America, Chardonnay. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're talking about Chardonnay. So many people love it. Why so many people hate it? Yeah, fewer anyway. Why it means what it means to American wine and how it's evolving. Listeners ask if wine can make you sick, and as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs, especially the ones who don't like Chardonnay. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're starting off by talking about Chardonnay. I love good Chardonnay. Oh, that's going to get you in trouble with the cool kids. You know what? They don't like you either, and it's not because you like Chardonnay. Yeah, well, I can't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with talking about what we're saying here, that this thing, there's this thing that that happens in the quote-unquote cool kids of the wine world. Um, right. The, the uh, whatever it is, the, the, the old and tired critics, the young and hip psalms, uh, the folks that are, that, that tend to not like the pop, and it's something they call the ABC. Right, the anything but Chardonnay. Yes. And what they're really telling you is, I've had so much wine in my life that I'm bored, and I only like really weird, wild, unusual things. And I'm here to tell you, I married one woman for 38 years, and I'm happy as heck being married to her. Paul, and she's a little bored, but I think she's hanging <laughs> in there. She's a little yeah. bored. <laughs> she's hanging <Yeah>. in. <laughs> But, you know, it's possible to like something for 38 years and not get tired of it. Yeah, and it is that. It is, there is this thing in every, in every uh, you know, strain of, of culture, which is that if it's popular, it must not be good. Right. Um, but, you know, and, and, and so they try not to say it. We were, we were just talking earlier this morning. I was talking to one of my bartender friends uh, just last night. Uh, I was going to say earlier this morning or late last night? It was, well, late last night I was talking to my bartender friend. Oh, okay. And, you know, we were talking about the, the kinds of drinks that, were uncool to serve, you know, the Long Island iced teas and the yep. lemon drops because now everybody's making craft cocktails. Although the cocktail culture isn't this way. Are they handcrafted way. cocktails? They, well, some of them are actually because, you know. <laughs> but, but the cocktail world is not like the wine world. And right. they all think that their job is service. And as the bartender said, if there someone wants go. to buy a $16 glass of anything for me, just shut up and serve them. Just shut up and serve them and be happy that they're going to enjoy and it. And that is the wine business. If somebody wants to buy something from you, you're going to and you, shut up and give it to them. Yeah, except that the real wine geeks will explain to them why they shouldn't be buying that. They should be buying something else that they'll like less. Yeah. And I, you know, I tend yeah. to think, by the way, the that that anything but Chardonnay movement is from people who actually don't sell wine for a living, right? You know, or or right. sell it because in any vast amounts. You can amounts. ask anybody who sells right. wine for a living what their best selling wine is, right. and it's Chardonnay, and it has been for the last twenty five years. Yeah, the exception would be you know the 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 sommeliers who have a different, but they're selling they're selling wine with food, and it's a different world. And, they're still selling and more Chardonnay. Yeah, and I don't want to be distant Chardonnay in this case because I know many many that love the the. Very popular Chardonnays on their menu because it makes yep. them it makes them their nut as they say. Yep. Um, so you know the, the thing to understand about Chardonnay too is um, it is uh, it's the most planted grape in California. 
Yes, one of the most planted grapes in the world. Yeah, there's 100,000 acres in California alone. Uh, yeah. It is the top-selling wine in the U.S. Uh, Nielsen says it is 19% share, which is basically one bottle in five. Yes, and one... that is, and that's a lot more than, I mean, it's significantly bigger than Cabernet, which is number two. Right. Yes, significantly bigger. I think the number that I saw was 13% or 12%, yeah. and then, something like and that. And then third? Uh, is Merlot, despite the fact that everybody keeps saying that Merlot is dying. Merlot is still the third most and, popular and wine. And fourth, oh, well, then red we, blends. Well, yeah, then we get into some complicated yeah. questions. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's a surprise. That's Chardonnay a is number one by baby. a lot, by a lot, actually. Yes. Yeah, and and so this is the thing: is that uh, you know the public loves Chardonnay because there you go, one bottle in five is right. Chardonnay. Right. Why do they like it? What do consumers like about it? I know. It tastes good. It tastes good. <laughs> it is, in fact, usually smooth. Yes. Consumers like smooth. It's, right. It is easy to say. You don't have to learn how to pronounce Gruner Veltliner or Vino Nobile de Montepulciano or Gewürztraminer. You can just say Chardonnay. Although I have a friend who loves saying Chateau Neuf de Pop. Chateau Neuf de Pop. We've talked about him before. Okay, yeah. He wants to order that only because he likes saying <laughs> it. Like, yes. But um, it's easy to say. It tastes good to people. It's smooth. That's why it sells so much. Yeah, and it is this thing. It is the is you know some people feel like it's their mission to either change Chardonnay or change people from liking it. There right. are um, those people in general are not what you would call opinion leaders or leaders of the Western world. Well, they want to be. That's well, the thing. But they are sadly delusional yes. in being that way. Yeah, there is uh, some of them. There's you know there are some some. Some of my favorite wine writers who um, who defend Chardonnay in all its forms, mm. um, but there are some knucklehead wine writers that that just it's it's a horrible thing. And one of them is the former wine editor of a major Northern California <laughs> newspaper. I won't name the paper, but it does start with San Francisco, um, <laughs> and they complain and complain that the the style of Chardonnay is not for them and. You know, and 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 they, and so what happens is they insult people who like the wines, and it's like insulting people who prefer roasted chicken to barbecued chicken. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're a barbecue person. Let them eat their roasted chicken. What, what right. do you matter? Right. An interesting thing, too, that was that this this same guy and was uh, there at, at a wine writer symposium in Napa, which I go to occasionally. You're um, invited to. I am invited to. Well, yeah. I, I actually only go when I can get a fellowship because it's really expensive. Yeah, but it's you, fun. Get you get fellowship, yes. so you matter. Well, it's you just apply. It's always. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, but... This person was complaining that Napa has, quote-unquote, sold out because it was making a wine that sold well. It was making the popular style of Chardonnay. Shame on them. Yes. They should, in fact, what are take they all of the money they invested and make something that doesn't sell well and is unpopular because that's how you make a small fortune in the wine industry. Yes. You Sorry, start with a big one and you watch it dwindle away. It is the worst of worst criticisms that somebody yes. has done something to make money off of it. It's a business. Yes. To quote our friend Gary Vaynerchuk, whom we made fun of a little bit in a show a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but are you just trying to get rid of the wine in your shop? Yes. yes. I'm trying to get rid of all the <laughs> yes, wine in, in my shop. Yes, in that case, Gary, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's just for folks to understand sort of the history of Chardonnay, because it's, it's, it, has, it has a major history in, in world wine and certainly in California wine. Yes, and you know it's it goes back you know, to to more than a thousand years. Yes, it, it's, it's a grape. It's a grape that's grown everywhere. Yes, almost everywhere that grows grapes grows Chardonnay. And in in Europe, 
there isn't this movement. There is no ABC movement in, right. in Europe. In fact, um, right. the you know the Judgment of Paris, the big deal wine tasting in 1976 yep. between California wines and French wines. One of the two wines they focused on was Chardonnay. The wine that matters to them. Yes. Yeah, and that's not to say that there are countries that like Italy. There's not a lot of Chardonnay in Italy, but there uh, is there, Chardonnay. But there is Italy. Chardonnay. Yeah, but it's not it's not their main white. But it, no. nonetheless, it is it's a huge thing. And then. In California, there was a time there was for a very long time actually there was not a lot of Chardonnay in California. Right, and right. It, it started to really make a breakthrough, sort of in the seventies and eighties. But it was also that was the time that Californians started drinking wine out of wine shaped bottle or bottle, you know, the, what we consider wine bottle shaped wine. It wasn't in ceramics. It wasn't in giant, you know, buckets. It wasn't, right. it, you know, it, it was right. the whole unquote, move towards premiumization. I was going to call it fine wine, but fine yes, wine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and Chardonnay was one of the wines that that caught one of the first. Yeah, Chardonnay, Cabernet. Yeah, yeah. And among the first. And there's a once again, there's a reason for that. People yep. like it. People like it. Tastes good. Yeah. As Willie Mays used to say about Coca Cola, I like it. Tastes real good. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know and. One of the things that this is also, I think, very small-minded of the the wine critics, the critics of. And of, if there's sorry, anything we know something about, it's small-mindedness. Being small-minded. Yes, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's how we earn a living, Paul. We we we, we live off of our own narrow prejudice views. <laughs> but those with a, a narrow prejudice view that disagrees with us right. on this subject complain too that as there's. As Californians, in, in particular Americans in general, were were getting were learning wine still, right. So the richer Chardonnays, the big buttery Chards, some with the, right. maybe a little bit of sweetness to them, right. was a wine that that attracted them to them because it was drinkable, it was it delicious, was easy to drink. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so here's another so thing. So they're they making really something and selling wines it. that are hard to drink. Yes, because then they wouldn't like them. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, and, you know. And, and I want to say one thing about that. You you made a passing comment there that I'm going to dive into a little bit here, Rick, because you talked about how America has a relatively young wine culture, and that we're still learning about wine, and and we're still learning what we like. The truth is, in many ways, the average American consumer. Has has a broader spectrum of wines that they've tried than most Europeans because many Europeans only drink wines good from point. their that own is a good region. Point. I hate to admit it. That's they a good point. Only drink Paul. wines from their own region. And so we hold them to great standards because my gosh, they know about the different communes of Bordeaux. They don't know anything about Burgundy. They don't know anything about the Loire Valley. They only know Bordeaux because they live in Bordeaux. Right. And it's it's a mistake to say that we're just learning all this stuff. Everybody everywhere in the world is just learning about it. And don't forget that 40 years ago at that great Paris tasting, the French suddenly learned that somebody in California yeah. made wine that knocked their socks yeah, now, off. Yeah, now if we can just teach the people in New York that, that Californians <laughs> make. Uh, you know, uh, there's the, the other thing about Chardonnay is, is and I was at this great uh, tasting, it was a media event a couple of years ago, hmm. that's just to show that the range of Chardonnay is just spectacular. And what their joke was that, you know, people always, they say that people blame Chardonnay for being like chicken. And it's blank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they showed, they said, well, you know, here's all the way you can make chicken. Yep. They had 22 different styles of chicken. Absolutely. And then they had tw- their 22 blending Chardonnays. Right. They actually only make two wines. They make an oaked and an unoaked, but they right. blend it out of very, you know, right. different yeasts, different yeah. growing styles. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they have 22 blending wines. Not all of them go into every vintage. 
Um, and and so we paired their 22 Chardonnays with, with their 22 different of styles chicken. of chicken and chickens. It's fried. It's spicy red sure. sauce. It's you got Asian. It's Thai chicken. It's you got... white meat. It's red meat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, dark meat. You know, and yeah. and that's that is an absolute point. Is that that there isn't one Chardonnay? There's there's examples of very right. common styles. Right. But Chardonnay is many many things, and uh, yep. anybody who makes fun of you. Um, Say no. So, uh, is is Chardonnay "quote unquote" headed anywhere? Do you think? Um, there is certainly a trend in California Chardonnay, um, and it's ironic because it's a trend that's not necessarily mirrored in France. Um, in the last twenty years, Chardonnay in France has become riper. It has become mm. richer. It has become, in fact, more California in style. Mm. Um, California Chardonnay over the last fifteen or twenty years above about $15, $20 a bottle, has absolutely moved away from that, that big, big, giant, rich, rich yeah. oaky style. Yeah. There are still some very good examples of that. But a lot of the Chardonnays that are being made today in California are lighter. They are crisper. Um, they have more acidity. I realize these are words that on a back label make people run from the room. But they are fresher, lighter, and I find them actually more attractive with a broader range of food. Yeah. And it's a very clear trend. I mean, it's happening across the state. Yeah, and in short, to all those anti-Chardonnay people, we say shut up and let people buy their one. Shut up and let them drink what they like. Right. Right. Yes. And of course, lots of people tell us to shut up. <laughs> so we will for, but only for a moment. Do we get to drink? <laughs> yeah. No. We're we're gonna we're gonna just come back and answer some questions, and uh, and then we'll keep talking. This is Bottle <laughs> Talk with Rick and Paul. Listener questions coming up. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Brick and Paul. It's time to answer some questions from our listeners. If you'd like to ask a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. We spell out the end. And look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free. One little itty-bitty click. If you're new to us, by the way, and you want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions or complaining about uh, some of those wine writers out there, it's easy. We drink everything. We are ecumenical. We drink all kinds of wines, and we tell wine snobs to shut up. But only wine snobs. We don't. <laughs> well, any, each other. And each other. But that's it. That's the, those two things. Uh, and, and Paul, by the way, is a respected industry pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napa Valley College at the Culinary Institute of America, various places around the world. He's a speaker at forums. He uh, he's, he's my pal, which is totally hurts his reputation. That's right. It costs me money every it time I think about does. it. It does. I'm sorry <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and Rick Cushman, uh, uh, both a uh, uh, guest host of Insight at Public Cap Public Radio upon occasion. Um, he does the Capital Public Radio wine uh, commentary, uh, judges various wine competitions around the world, wrote Barefoot Spirit, the best-selling New York Times book on on the wine business today and the Barefoot Company. And, uh, yeah, if he weren't slumming with me, he might actually be out doing something worthwhile. Yeah, one of these days. One of these days. One of these days, I'll make something of myself. Our first question comes from Stephen Pham in Half Moon Bay. Hmm. I like this question. What does fine tannins mean? And how different is that from sleek tannins and polished tannins and oh, supple yeah. and all those other oh, words? Yeah. I hear supple tannins a lot. I'm not even sure what I'm with supple means, but I think supple means bendable. What's a bendable tannin? <laughs> uh, 
You know, we should have him as a guest participant in <laughs> yes. our bad wine writing. <laughs> yes, true. Because he's hit the nail on the head on this one. Yes, he has. Yeah. yeah, he's absolutely right. The first thing is on supple, they don't mean it to mean what it means. They just think it means it sounds good. <laughs> right. So first of all, let's take just a second to describe what tannins are. They come from the skins and the seeds of the grape. And they are that drying sensation that you get on your tongue after you drink a red wine. They are also quite high in tea. Yes. Think about a tea bag when it's like, you know, it's been sitting in your in your cup of tea too long. That that, that sensation that you get. In your mouth. Right. In yes. your mouth. Now, yeah, when well, you take the tea bag out and you bend it, those are that's supple, supple. Tannins. Right. If <laughs> the tea bag bends, it's that's supple. Right. Yeah. And if you get, if you throw the tea bag on the ground in a city park and get a ticket, those are fine tannins. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. We are not doing puns. This is a no-pun zone. <laughs> Knock that off. <laughs> so anyway, those are tannins. And they can be relatively coarse and harsh, which is unattractive. Over time, they have a tendency to interact with the larger molecules in wine. And so the wine becomes softer and they it's become smooth smoother. Yeah. Um, and all of those various terms that you're using there, Stephen, just mean that the tannins don't feel make your tongue feel like it's a shag carpet. Right. But they could just say softer. Yes. But softer or say, smooth, either one of those. After yeah. you say softer 140 times in your wine descriptions, you start thinking, what could I say about that would mean softer that doesn't say softer so that I can sound creative and intelligent? And then you start going on to supple, and then you go on to all these other words, yeah, the, and then people say, what is he talking about? Yeah, they use S-words because S-words sound smooth. That's right. Using it. So that, that's all it is, is that means that the tannins are, are not... The, the, and the difference, you know, if you think about that big giant Cabernet sometimes that, that you know, that's young and new and that feeling in your mouth versus an older, an older wine. I do like yeah. sleek tannins because it gives me this image of all these little molecules on my tongue combing their hair back. With oh, I see. I see him driving sports cars. <laughs> but we're, we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, our next one comes from Edgar in Lodi. Cool. Edgar, Edgar, oh, this is a good one. So you guys did a show on wine contests and said some of the expensive wineries never enter. It seems to me when I go to the supermarket aisle that a lot of the less expensive wines and some of the medium price, price wines were in some competition. Certainly mm -hmm. this time of year you see the medals everywhere. Yeah. So how good a guide are they? And what would happen if those less expensive wines had to compete against the expensive ones? Would the metals be different? Great question. That is and a the good answer question. is in some cases, in most cases, the wines that have won medals in competitions have competed against some more expensive wines. Now, the California State Fair, I, I don't know what any of the specific wines were, but when you start reading through the medal winners, there are some pretty expensive wines in that competition. So it's not that every wine over $20 decides they're not going to enter a competition. There are some very good, very expensive wines in competitions. Um, the only thing a medal can really tell you, and I, I, I speak on behalf of just about every wine competition on the planet, it's three guys. Sometimes it's four, occasionally it's five, usually it's three people sitting around a table. They're tasting 10 wines in a flight, and they're probably tasting six, seven, eight flights a day, nine flights a day. They're doing 50, 75, 100 wines. And all three judges have agreed. If this wine has a gold medal, all three judges have agreed that's a good wine. 
And that's all it means. Yeah. Now, you got three quite competent people there. They're tasting a whole lot of wines. This is a wine that struck them as being particularly good. That's, does it mean that it's better than another wine? No. Does it mean that you're going to like it more? No. But it does mean that three perfectly competent judges all agreed, this is a pretty good wine. Yeah. I, I, an easy way to think of it is just another version of crowdsourcing. It's just a slightly yeah. better, it's a higher caliber of crowd. <laughs> yeah, well, depending on who's on the panel. That's true. I mean, when, if you and I there, were on the panel, it's, it's totally, it goes right to hell in it, a handbasket. That's right. All right, we will have a whole bunch of more questions uh, a bit later in the show. That is it for questions now. If you'd like to ask us a question, rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Coming up, we'll have some really bad wine writing. Oh, boy. Including about Chardonnay. Oh, boy. Yeah, we'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That is the signal. It is happy time. Happy sad time. times. Sad times indeed. Really horrible wine writing coming up. What'd you bring in, Paul? Well, I got one word for you, Rick, and it. Well, no, I should. Let me rephrase that. I have one word, not for you, Rick, <laughs> because the word is noble. What? That's not me. That's not you. <laughs> no, it's not. No, I mean, here. first of all, I, there, there's a funny element to this. I have no idea what noble means in terms of wine. I have a clue. Does it mean that a duke grew the grapes? Yes. Okay, well, then that clears yes. that up. Or maybe, was, maybe a duchess. A duchess, maybe could a marquise duchess, yes, or, a, yes. or an earl or a baron. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could be just earl. <laughs> I, I knew Earl. Yeah, he, he, he wasn't much of a great But the grower. other part of this that I always think is funny is if you think of what, how we use the word noble, nobility, and then you look back at the really horrible people throughout the history of Western Europe. Mostly they're... Yeah, most of them were nobles. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's absolutely hysterical that we use the word noble to imply so it's this spoiled wine, spoiled, spoiled and vicious <laughs> yeah, and yeah. vindictive. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. thank you very much. Yes, yeah. we'll beat the peasants. We'll pe peasants. We'll burn them alive. We'll poison my neighbor. And oh, by the way, I am noble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is. Uh... Yes, it is once again, and and, and and even and even more to the point, a word that signifies nothing. Not in terms of wine. Shows up everywhere, unfortunately. What do you have? Uh, this is a description of a wine. Okay. From a wine writer, we have made fun of before, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Setting new standards for Santa Barbara Chardonnay. This shows the intense, crunchy mineral aspect that always defines the wine. Cameo apple, bosque pear, zesty lemon, and funky membrillo. Best for early drinking, but totally charming. Okay. It's membrillo. Membrillo. Well, I, you know, I don't have you're, the accent. My apologies. Right. And yeah. if somebody doesn't know what that is, that's Quinn's cheese. We're thinking of it as like a thick jam yeah. that, that stands up like a piece of, like a canned cranberry sauce. Yeah, yeah. It's like a really intensely thick jello. Right. So, crunchy mineral. What is that? Well, um, I think quartz would be a crunchy mineral. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, yes. You know, that's, quartz, that I think comes to that's, mind. That is the quintessential. Uh, Although I don't want it in my mouth. Yeah. My teeth would be. Yes. This, by the way, uh, here's one of the things I like about this. this. This came from a list of 14 Chardonnays from the same writer, right? Okay. So I looked at them carefully, and there were no 
descriptors that repeated themselves. So somehow there was nothing in any of these 14 Chardonnays that they that had in common. anything like any of the other wines. So there were 14 Chardonnays and they had nothing Massively in common. Different. It's almost as if yeah. they were made from 14 different grapes. Yeah. Yes. But they weren't. Yes, and and <laughs> and and I also like you know speaking about the the, the various ways to say tannin. Here's the here's the ways the writers said apple. There was the cameo apple in here. There was baked apple, juicy apple, tart apple, sour apple, and Fuji apple. Excellent. Yes. First yeah. of all, tart apple and sour apple strikes me as they're probably the same. Yeah, the sour apple isn't as isn't it's as tart. I don't know. Or it's more 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 tarty than I don't sour. Know. But this is that you know this is this is the other thing that we always talk about with with bad wine writing is this thing that instead of using any kind of descriptor that would matter, we're going for something that people won't know. I don't think uh, many people... Well, I don't know what funky Membrio is as... Well, that's Membrio di- made in Motown. Oh, it, it, it dances. It's like... <laughs> it's, 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 it's it like does your, the funky chicken. It's like your limber wine a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. It's my limber wine that the, does the limbo. It's a limber, limber right. Membrio. Oh. All right. That is it for our horrible wine writing. We will have all kinds of fun stuff when we come back, including a whole bunch more questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I love those guys. And by the way, it has been pointed out, in case anybody wonders, they are union. They are union. In fact, it's one of the things that Matt Bassini, our engineer, does for us is he flies those guys out from London every week just yeah, for it's, the show. It's, I know. This is, this is, a, this is a, a class operation. People, people think this show is fly-by-night, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually we, we, we spent a lot of effort. All right, Paul. So what history moment do you have for us? You know, I have a great story about Chardonnay. Okay. Because one of the most famous vineyards for Chardonnay on the planet, possibly the most famous, is one that's called Corton Charlemagne. And before, I've heard of it. You it have. It must be famous. It must be famous. And, of course, you know who Charlemagne was. He was uh, king of the Franks. He actually spoke German. Uh, he's buried in Aachen. But he was king of the Franks, which eventually they gave their name to France. So he was a grand old warrior, and he loved his wine, but he had a little problem, which is late in the evening as he drank his wine, he had this big white beard, and the legend is that his wife got embarrassed because he drank vast goblets of red wine, and it would dribble down his beard and make him look like a slob. That's why I keep my goatee trimmed. (laughs) There you go. So here, Mr. Charlemagne comes up with a solution. He takes one of the most famous vineyards in France, the Corton Vineyard, and he plants a portion of it to Chardonnay, thus creating the Corton Charlemagne Vineyard and also giving him something to drink later in the evening that he could spill down his beard and his wife wouldn't nag him. That's a good trick. I'm going to remember that. Anything to keep Deborah on the good side. I'm starting with the red, finishing with the white. There, you, there go. you go. Okay, that's good. Yep. That's good. And that vineyard still grows Chardonnay well more than a thousand years and after this is the in time what of Charlemagne. Pardon me? In what part of France? This is in Burgundy. In Burgundy, of course. This is in Burgundy. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. All right. Well, mine is about another historic strain of vines. Uh, it's actually the strain of vines rather than the vineyard itself. Mm-hmm. And this goes. these were planted in 1912, and they may I'm very well— I'm surprised you remember this. Well, I was—, I was 
I was just getting out of grad school at the time. <laughs> it was actually the single most important. It probably, with all, without a doubt, I, I think that there's another sort of lineage of grape grapevines, you know, in California that is yeah. that has a more imp- impact. The story starts in 1909, and it, it's the Wentys, you know, the Wenty family down in Livermore. Yeah, down in Livermore, right. uh, and, and it was Ernest Wenty, which his father planted the vineyard down there in 1883. Ernest uh, was went to UC Davis. It's kind of a cool thing too. He was part of the first class of full-time students. They wow. went to what was then the University Farm School. The University Farm School. As an undergraduate. Now uh, graduate. internationally famous UC Davis. Yeah, I was an undergrad at UC Davis, by the way. Never took a wine class. Mm-hmm. What the heck? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. In any case, uh, 1912, Ernest is graduating. One of his instructors, a guy named Leon Bonnet, uh, who was a visiting professor from France. Good. And his brother was uh, taught at the University of Montpellier. And his brother said, there's some pretty good darn grapevines over here. Ah. So uh, Ernest goes over. He brings back some cuttings, um, but Ernest, uh, as we as we you know in later years, was always tinkering in a, in his own right. way. But there's no nepotism. The professor in here sending. Well, in, in have hindsight, I got a the, deal for you, my in, brother. I got this brother who's got grapevines in Montpellier. In hindsight, the the Wenty family now is absolutely convinced that it was it was that was one of the reasons. <laughs> but Ernest was a he was a pretty savvy guy even yeah, at the time, smart and 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 he he actually liked them, but he they weren't. Own, and he also found some an, another strain of Chardonnay um, mm-hmm. in in uh, in Livermore, which back then, by the way, was the, one of the centers of California. In wine. fact, the Wenties moved there because they wanted to be in wine country, and they didn't want to be in some lousy little agricultural and where, backwater like and Napa. Where did he move from? As Napa, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's, nobody's doing anything in Napa. Yeah, um, and, and so he, and he blended these two wines. That was from a Gear Vineyard that was in Pleasant in that area. Yeah, um, and. And he and he did what he always did was he you know he he would keep the good because grapevines move and and mutate and change and he would keep well, the good in, stuff. Well, in every vineyard you have vines that really do well and vines that don't do so well and wines that ripen perfectly and vines that don't ripen so perfectly and and he would toss out the not so perfect and not do well and keep the good just stuff and and he was through and always picking the good stuff. Yep, and you know you think about when this was that was wait, prohibition. Yeah. Then the Depression. Yeah. Then the war. Yeah. So it really wasn't until after the war. This was that, a labor of love. He yeah. wasn't making a lot of money doing this one. Right. But it wasn't until after the war that, that once again, California's wine industry started to get itself back on its feet. And mm-hmm. it was a very collegial group back then. I mean, you think about the names that were involved. It's names we all know now. It's BV, Inglenook, the Martinis, the Concannons, Almaden, Paul Masson. Yep. Mirasuser and a few others, but that was it. That was it, and they, yeah. so they all talked to each other. They all shared, and they all basically wanted these California, these this Chardonnay grapevine. In yep. fact, there's a story of how they spread it around. Was when uh, Fred and Eleanor McRae, who Stony Hill, right, one of a the legendary wine, yeah, and one of the great Chardonnay uh, houses. Uh, houses in California, right, right. Um, were over for dinner one time, and they had dinner and they talked and chatted. They played games, whatever it is people do for dinner, and they wandered yeah. out in the vineyards and the. Ernest and his and his brother basically said, "Yeah, here they are. Yeah, take what you want. Yeah, and, th- just and that, help yourself. Help yourself. Wow. Um, and in the '60s, UC Davis got involved because this was such a good uh, a good bit of of well, because uh, the Wenty family had been selecting for uh, what now 50 years they've yes. been selecting which vines did the best yes so if you've ever been on a wine a tour and they're talking about their Chardonnay, you've probably heard them say, you know. That's our that's a, and the, and the Chardonnay is of course the Wenty clone. That's what it's called. And the odds are pretty good because of those hundred thousand acres of Chardonnay planted in California, about eighty thousand have a Wenty clone in them. So about eighty thousand came 
originally the original stock came from this one vineyard. This out one in Livermore. vineyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty cool thing. Yep. Okay. Uh, cool. You know, there's one other story about that, that that we all talk about the Great Judgment of Paris. You know, the time when the French wines were tasted blind by a bunch of French judges against the California wines, and the California wines won. But there are there are guidebooks from Gomio and Michelin, the great French guidebooks, talking mm. about the Wenti Chardonnays back in the 1960s and saying they're every bit as good as some of the finest wines in Burgundy. Right. So there's a long tradition here. Right, right. So for those of you Chardonnay haters, we say piffle. Piffle. Piffle yes, to you. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> All right. And now I have some bad news. Piffle. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like piffle? I think piffle's it's, great. We've got to do that more often. It's going to be my word. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to say piffle to this bit of bad news, but um, apparently there's something called the aperitif effect. Uh-oh. This is from the July issue of the Journal of Obesity. It's from the American Obesity Society. This isn't the Journal of Head and face pain. No, that was another one. I, 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 you don't know. You don't want to know what I do with my spare time. (laughs) I scour Uh, the planet for this weird stuff. Obesity. Okay. There was a study from the Indiana University Med School. Right. And they found clear evidence. In quotes, they say clear evidence because this is very important that alcohol heightens. It basically heightens our hunger reflex. It heightens activity in the hypothalamus when it's exposed to to uh, to food smells. And it increases. It result is in many, many, many cases. Most cases, they say, increased eating. Mm. The hypothalamus, by the way, if you've forgotten your high school biology class, which most of us have, it governs your brain's reward system, and that's what mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. it's a primitive drive for food, sex, addictive, su- su- uh, I'll get it, addictive substances. Easy for you. It, to the say. drive to listen to bottle talk with Rick and Paul, I think, Absolutely. is one that's of the things. Addictive. The hypothalamus. That's an addictive activity. So what they did. They took a, 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 a large group of healthy, non-obese women. Women were allowed to eat breakfast. I don't know why it was just women, but in any case. Okay. Eight hours later, they got a late lunch. That seems Boy, a little— that's a late okay, lunch. but nonetheless. Eight hours. Yeah, wow. so it might have skewed it a little bit. So an hour or two before lunch, each woman's brain was scanned for uh, responses. It was a functional MRI using what part of the brains are lightening up. Right. And, and they response to smells, some food-related, some not. Okay. Then— while they're being scanned, half of them got an IV solution tailored to create their word a pleasant buzz. The other mm. half, the other half bummer, got saline solution. Yeah. Okay. Those yeah. with the pleasant buzz, and then they they puffed this it. Is a, you know, this is quite an image. All these women lined up somewhere in a lab, yeah. having smells wafted over them, lying there with getting the IV in their <laughs> yeah, arm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, aye, it, aye, aye. There's, there's, it is funny. It sounds like a sitcom. I can see Lucy <laughs> and Ethel doing this. Lucy and Ethel would have yeah. fun. So they, they, they pumped in cooking smells and other smells. And yep. it turns out that the there's no response to some of the other nutrient smells. And some of them were, were pleasant smells, flowers and things, but not food-related. Right. Um, however, they got high activity in the hypothalamus from the food smells. And mm. then uh, two-thirds of the women who got that alcohol I- IV ate significantly more lunch when they're allowed to eat. I see. So what it means is, now this is no surprise. If you're starving you eat more to when death, yes. if you haven't eaten for eight hours and you have a drink, you're going to eat more food than if you yes. haven't had a drink. And in theory, though, it, because the hypothalamus is stimulated, even if you weren't starving, it should actually make you eat more. Right. The, nec- the next test they're doing, by the way, on these women, they're bringing them back and they're going to mar- medical marijuana. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're going to eat Cheetos. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, my sister has a story related to this because she was she had moved with her then, well, still her husband, just newlywed, moved to Germany because he was going to be attending medical school there. And she really was having a hard, she was under a lot of stress and she was having a hard time eating. Uh, and she said, you know, I've lost my appetite. I'm losing weight. She went to the doctor. Doctor had a long interview with her. Doctor suggested a rather novel medical treatment. He suggested she have a glass of wine before dinner. Problem disappeared. Well, well you know, it's funny. Most people, uh, stress makes them eat. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, Some people it doesn't. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's our new diet. Our new diet is um, uh, IVs of alcohol when you want to gain weight and stress <laughs> and when smells. you deny them. Right. All right. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. When we come back, more questions from listeners. Stay with us. And by the way, that next week, those listeners could be you. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We're going to take a few more questions from our listeners. If you'd like to be one of those folks that ask us a question, we promise to give you credit or not use your name if you ask. Many people do. Go to rickandpaulwine.com. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe for free. One little click. All right. Our first question comes from uh, part of our Fresno enclave. Excellent. Jackie Naiman has a question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She says, where does the butter come from in Chardonnay? I like that and want to know how to ask for it. Take that, by the way, ABC people. Right. Someone told me that's the oak, but I think he was just trying to sound like he knew what he was talking about. How does that make him any different from us? <laughs> well, we're not trying to sound. No, we, 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 know we, we know we don't. We just don't let it bother us because <laughs> okay. we, just, we just plow forward. Okay. Well, it isn't the oak. It is not no. the oak. There's actually a chemical reaction. It's a lot complicated, and Paul always hates it when I uh, say it, so don't, you don't have to remember this. But there is something the wine goes through that turns the, the malic acid, which is the acid in green apples, so bright and, and, and sparky acid, and into a lactic acid, which is the acid in milk. It makes it creamy. It stabilizes the wine, this, this thing called malactic fermentation. Don't remember that. Um, and, but there's a byproduct of this, and the byproduct is a chemical, an, a very harmless chemical called diacetyl. Diacetyl is what they put into, I can't believe it's not butter. Right. It's also what they put into your buttered flavoring on popcorn. Your popcorn in the movies. So yes. basically the reason why your wine tastes like butter is because it has genuine butter flavoring. And here is your wine and food pairing of the week. Chardonnay like that with flavored butter flavored popcorn oh, from yeah. the movie theater, oh, yeah. and you're home free. Yeah, and actually, some movie theaters now are serving wine. If not, yeah. I say bring it in a bottle. Bring it just a plastic small bottle. Hip flask. Yeah, just, yeah, that'll work. That'll <laughs> work. But that's what it is, and it's not the oak, and that's a very common mistake, by the way. Lots of people think yeah. that. No big yeah. deal. Um, oak oak generally tastes like vanilla, cinnamon, sometimes dill in wine. It doesn't taste. Like or sometimes butter. it even tastes like oak. Sometimes it. You know, my grandfather was a carpenter. Oak, to me, smells like oak because uh -huh. I've walked into the shop when a saw was ripping through a board of oak. And, it, uh, yeah, oak smells different from mahogany, and mahogany <laughs> smells different from redwood. And, yeah. Yeah. I had a bad wine. smelled like my grandfather. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a good wine. Yeah, that's right. Okay. This is, uh, this is from Anara in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. She says, we were at a party, and the host was meticulous about putting those little charms on our glasses so we knew which one was ours. And it got us wondering, does it matter? Can germs live in wine? No. No, they cannot. Not, Not really, very few. Although, although, I mean, the basic, basically the answer to the question is the acid levels and the 
alcohol levels in wine are high enough that very few human pathogens can live in wine. So you're relatively safe there. Rick has a different solution because whenever he walks into a party and he doesn't know which glass I is I put a his, charm in the bottle. No, no. He just picks the glass that has the most wine well, and he figures, I know this isn't mine, yeah. but it's got the most wine. Yeah, if it's wine, got the most wine. It's good enough for me. No, I just put a big charm on the, the wine glass <laughs> bottle that I like and say, I'm sorry, hey, that one's mine over there. You, <laughs> you Get your, your hands off. You know, it's actually a good question. There is, you know, because on the outside of the glass— Right. There's much less exposure. There's not much. There's not much wine. Right. And so, in, in you know, sure. Um, but uh, you know, and it's funny. I have a friend who's in the industry, uh, and he's he is so non dogmatic about almost everything. But mm. for some reason, he hates the charms. Oh, he hates. And the I charm. can't figure out why. Actually, huh. he just it just they bug him. You know, it, it just seems. Yeah. I think because he just figures what the hell he's still like me. He's stealing everybody else's wine. Right. And you well, know, he's, I know he's getting who, busted. Who serves uh, particularly bubbly? She has a beautiful collection of various individual handcrafted uh, champagne flutes. <laughs> and so, when you get a glass of bubbly, you don't need a charm because every single one of her flutes is slightly different. Well, that works in my house because pretty much every one of my glasses are broken. <laughs> so you just look for the crack and see where the it's yeah. like, where's the chip? Where's the, yeah. Yes, yes. Good. Uh, all right. Yeah, another one here. This is from Gabriel in Newport Beach. And Gabriel says, this is sort of along that line. But, well, not really. How come no, there's no expiration date or best buy on wine? Can wine get too old or to, say, to be safe to drink? To be safe to drink, probably not. To be pleasant to drink, yeah. yeah, it can get too old for that. Yeah, and that and that's really at the crux of the matter. How old a wine should be before you drink it is a is enormously uh, de- dependent on what your personal taste is. So if we have a, a wine, particularly a red wine, some people like it when it's really old. My dad always wanted the tannin to be almost gone from his red wines before he would drink them, so he liked his red wines older than I like mine. I like mine older than most winemakers I know because most winemakers actually don't like older wine. They like to drink wine when it's still young and got a lot of fruit to it. Um, So that's why they don't put a date on it is because whatever date they'd put on it would be inaccurate for a good chunk of the population. Which doesn't stop a whole lot of critics from saying best at, you know, In fact, yeah, I think think in the mailbag somewhere we have another question. We may not get to it this week, but we have another question about, you know, what does that mean when you drink that wine? And it it is a question of taste. Yeah. Um, You know, the English, uh, when it comes to drinking particularly sparkling wines, like their sparkling wines, older than we do in the United States. Yeah. We tend to like more fruit. This is the great, the great uh, quote unquote champagne debate, right? Which is that the French like their champagne fresh, right, right? Right, you know, ready it's to drink. released when it's ready to drink. Yes, and and then the Brits, they like it old, and it change. It does change. It gets you know, older. You know, yes. uh, because as you know, Paul, I will drink anything. Yes, you um, will. I actually had a because a, a, there's always one bottle, you know, a, a, in the back of the wine refrigerator of a Chardonnay that I love. Right, but it was you should have opened it nine years it, ago. Exactly right, because it was ten years old. Yeah. And uh, so I opened it, and it was so. First off, it was really pretty because it had gotten uh-huh. a little bit more golden, right? You know, and it had gotten a little bit oxidized, so yeah. it had that little yeah. bit of sherryness to it. Yeah. And yeah. I have to say, I I kind of liked it. And yeah. and we had uh, Thai food; we had takeout Thai, and it was really good with it. Yeah, you know, and it yeah. was because it was that richness. Yeah. And and yet, know, I had a similar conversation with a friend of mine who was a very good winemaker, and I told him that I had had the same experience. I'd found a bottle of his wine deep in my cellar; it was pretty old. 
he said, how old was it? And I said, oh, I told him the date. It was, it was 10 years old. And he just wrinkled up his face and he said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. And I said, well, you know, I opened it. It wasn't bad. He said, yes, it was. I've had that wine and it's 10 years old and it is past where I think it's pleasant to drink. And I'm sorry you drank it. One more quick uh, Chardonnay aging, Joe, because one of the story, because, you know, Chardonnay is a wine that should be drunk relatively fresh in, in many, most cases. Yes, by in most cases. Yep. And, um, and uh, I have been now married now 12 years. My wife is infinitely patient. And we well, had, you, you only know that she's 12 years patient. She, well, you don't know if that she's infinitely. infinitely. <laughs> well, it, look, if she survived me 12 years, this, 12 one, years. this is a woman with patience. <laughs> um, but we bought a case of wine from the grapes that watched us get married. We were out in, in uh, the Sebastopol area, yeah. Laguna Vineyard, which is uh, was then Gallo of Sonoma. Now it's, uh, I, I think it's called Gallo Estate, whatever. Mm, the, okay. In any case, it was Gallo of Sonoma, Laguna Vineyard, Chardonnay. Bought a case of it. And, we, you know, we, we stuck it, we, you know, put them away and we're drinking it slowly and we had now we've got like two bottles left but um and they're way over the hill now one of them is is an ornament you know right but but we opened uh last year on our anniversary we opened one bottle and it was really over the hill and we didn't even touch it right we opened the another bottle this year really as a ritual right it was okay it was okay you know and so here the same wine same case so each bottle uh ages differently so now and then Corks aren't necessarily predictable over really long periods of time. Right. Each wine will develop differently. So, yeah. yeah, fun. Well, speaking of unpredictable. That's us. We have some food and wine pairings coming up. And guess which wine we are featuring? Um, we're not predictable. Yeah. Speaking of unpredictable, let's do something wild and crazy and choose Chardonnay. Oh, I think you've got it. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and since we've been talking about Chardonnay, we thought we would do some food pairings with Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And as we said, of course, style matters a ton, and there's all <laughs> kinds of styles for Chardonnay. Yeah. But um, one of the, the the things I do not like uh, from the, many of the things I do not like from those we don't like Chardonnay folks is that Chardonnay doesn't pair with food. It doesn't right. pair with some foods. It and pairs some Chardonnays don't pair with some foods. Right, yeah. but but there are many kinds of Chardonnays, and there are many foods they go with. So, yep. let's talk about a couple. Let's start with the lighter styles of Chardonnay, since okay. we go light to heavy. So right. you know, it could be a could be a Burgundy light, a French Burgundy, it could be an unoaked Chardonnay right. that, that has less fresh. So what lively. what are some of the things that you think go well for you? Yeah, well, I'm I you know the um, richer seafoods. I I actually like an unoaked Chardonnay with mm-hmm. crab with a, ooh, with a richer crab. seafood. Mm-hmm. See, I would go with the richer, richer, but that would yeah, be... Yeah, I like that. You know, it depends. If, but I understand why it's why the sparkling it's, it's goes not with, in a, a, with... It's a, not in a yeah. cream sauce, but yeah. I like my Dungeness crab dipped in butter. Uh, and then well, you go with the Chardonnay, it tastes yeah, pretty good. Yeah, Tastes yeah. pretty good. Um, cheese balls. Cheese balls? You know... Who doesn't you, love cheese balls? I'm sorry. We're talking about the cocktail hour? Yeah. Chardonnay is a cocktail wine. It Chardonnay is. Chardonnay is yeah. a wine that people yeah. drink around the cocktail table, and... Those a lot of the things you serve at a cocktail dinner or a cocktail party they work pretty well with Chardonnay actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's a couple other things too. Uh, I think that it goes well with, um, with like non-sweet Asian foods like sashimi. 
Uh-huh. You know, or nigiri, the sushi that you know, it's the simple sushi uh, on the on the rice. If, right. if it's if especially if it's not not at all sweet, um, chardonnay does the lighter chardonnays doesn't mm-hmm. do very okay. well with that. You know, lightly yeah. cooked fish, lightly cooked chicken. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then but there's then ch- there's chicken, chicken, roast chicken. Yeah, just well, a plain roast chicken, a little rosemary, a little garlic, and a bottle of chardonnay. Well, That's a pretty nice combo. Well, as I said, those twenty two chickens and those twenty two chardonnays, yes. and all went with something. And even what's yes. funny was there was a. Um, Overly buttery, buttery Chardonnay in that group that was done with the yeast to give it those flavors, yep. and it was to blend in some of that flavor, and it went spectacularly with a spicy red chicken. Uh-huh. So it was the this it it took out the spice. It was yep. and so you never know. Yep. So the richer Chardonnays. When do you have any particular faves with the richer? Well, Chardonnays? you know, I mean, lobster Newburg, the stuff in a cream sauce uh, that works. That works really nice. How often do you have lobster Newburg? Um, never. But you know, I mean, it's <laughs> a classic combo. You know, even even <laughs> fettuccine. Alf- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at the never. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, you know, anything in a rich cream sauce like that. You know, fettuccine Alfredo with butter and um, throw in a couple of mushrooms on top of the yeah. fettuccine and things yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You, know, you know, anything that's got that sort of rich, creamy texture, as long as the Chardonnay doesn't have a lot of oak. Because if you get a lot of oak in Chardonnay, sometimes the oak, you not only pick up the vanilla character of the oak, but you also pick up the sort of tannin. And once you get tannin in it, it changes the wine, and it's much, much harder to pair with food. Yeah. You know, those richer Chardonnays also go, speaking of the cocktail hour, is like is brie. You know the, uh-huh. the brie, and yep. and even even better is those sort of those warmed brie baked baked brie kinds Cheese of balls. appetizers things. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, um, it's... Mushroom dishes. The and in interesting, I have had serious uh, sommeliers recommend a big rich chardonnay, even with something like a steak. Yeah, I've had uh, cheerful sommeliers recommend the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, never mind. Yeah, good. Yes. Is that all you got? Is that the best uh, joke you've got today? No. I don't, <laughs> you, you know me. I don't have good jokes. That's not what I do. The, um, our point then there is that Chardonnay does go with many, many things. Yes. And it's, you know, and yep. it's, it's so many people's Tuesday night wine, so to speak, you know. Right. Don't, don't worry about and it. And don't overlook the fact that even if, it, even if you're not serving it with food, don't overlook the fact that it, it is perhaps the classic cocktail wine in America. Absolutely. There is nothing wrong with that. We are the classic cocktail pairing uh, for, for in America, too. And that yes, is it for another are. round of Pairing With Us, Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use, as always. If you'd like to ask us a question, we will give you a shot at answering it. Go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget, look for us on iTunes. It's free. It's easy. You can subscribe. Just give it a click. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that don't listen to those wine drums. Drink what you like and tell them Rick and Paul sent you. You probably get better service if you didn't mention us. Yeah, that's right. I never get good service. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.